Well, good morning, Desert Springs Bible Church. My name is Jason Fisher. I'm uh, one of the pastors at Heritage Church, which is just down the road at uh, Tatum and Cactus. And uh, so fun for me to be here. Uh, we've, we've had a long-standing relationship with Desert Springs Bible Church. Caleb and I are good friends. In fact, being in here, I'm always reminded of the Christmas extravaganza we did years ago now. It just feels like ages ago, but uh, it's just so fun um, to just have that friendship and that relationship uh, with you all through your leadership. Uh, in fact, as I was looking back at the series that, that and the series of, of preachers and, and teachers that you've had in here over the last uh, couple months, I like know most of them and I'm friends with them. And so just feel really honored to be part of the lineup here. And I'm sure uh, that you're looking forward to having Caleb back next week. Just, uh, just so cool that you all have been gracious to him and blessed him and his family with this rest time. So um, I'm sure, I'm, um, I know he's been just really, really enjoying it. Um, Christmas for me, I love Christmas. I'm, I'm, I can uh, kind of jive with Danny as, as he's talking about Christmas and stuff. But it's also, there's, there's, there's this weird sort of conflict that goes on with Christmas for, for most of us, I think, where, yes, it's celebratory, but you also, it's that, yeah, looking around and going, yeah, but so-and-so's not here, or certain pains resurface. And uh, there's, there's just lots of conflict. I have, to, I have to admit to you that there's actually, there's conflict that goes on in my heart as well. Uh, with all sorts of things, with that aspect of Christmas, but also just with this, this aspect of, um, well, it has to do with just my propensity to uh, make things boring. Uh, I, I just, I don't know if you, you're with me in that or not, but we just, I, I have this tendency to take wonderful and fantastic and exciting, even sort of magical feeling, and we just get used to it. I just get, I get used to it. And so there's this conflict within me every time Christmas rolls around to be like, yeah, okay, like, let's get back to, like, let me get back to what it is that we're celebrating and how amazing it must have been trying to put myself in the shoes of the people who lived the first Christmas that we look at and we celebrate. But I have this tendency in myself uh, with just about everything. I was just thinking about this um, over Thanksgiving uh, at Thanksgiving, my daughter's in Germany at a, at a school there, and, and yet we were able to FaceTime. I mean, just think about that for a moment. It's incredible that on our phones, I'm talking, I'm talking to my daughter who's over 5,000 miles away. I mean, technology is just amazing. We only dreamed about these things. When I was a kid, I was a Knight Rider fan, and I wish that I had that watch, you know, that David Hasselhoff would talk to, to Kit. We're doing that now. It's incredible. Like, we're living the dream, and we're so bored with it all. I remember walking around and showing, hey, you know, my daughter, say hi to your grandparents, say hi to your mom, yeah. And then it like gets choppy, you know, and we kind of lose signal. And we're like, oh, garbage. You know, technology is the worst. My Wi-Fi, oh, I need to upgrade my phone because it's trash. Really, like if we just get so used to this amazing stuff so quickly. I mean, it's really the fact that I can do that on my phone is like magic to me. But I've just dumbed it down and I've domesticated it. And we do that, I think, with Christmas. And so my hope together, it's, something, it's just to kind of join you in, um, in, in what I'm working through right now, is just opening, opening my eyes again to just the amazing wonder and the beauty of Christmas and what God has done. It's so incredible. And I really truly am. I, I want to be enamored with the story, and I want to invite you to be enamored with me, and maybe even see some things that you've never seen before, because I've been seeing some things I've never seen before. But I want to talk about this contrast 
that this story here in Luke chapter 2 that we're going to be looking at is full of contrast. It's quiet. And then it's loud. It's dark. And then it's bright. It's quaint, right? We think of baby Jesus in the manger and ah. But it's also really subversive, as we're going to see here. It's ordinary. It's just people living their lives. It's governments doing their thing. But it's fantastic. And I want to look at the contrast of this. A couple of weeks ago, Don Farmer talked about the, the Christmas in the middle spaces and sort of this, this in-between. And I want to, I want to look at the, the contrasting spaces today. Uh, the ways, in fact, even the clash of Christmas, if you will. Let's, let's allow, let's, let's behold, let's look at this story with fresh eyes and maybe even be confronted with a clash. Let's not get so used to this. Let's not domesticate the truths of Christmas that we so easily celebrate with, with the wonderful songs and the delicious food and the giving of gifts and the, the traditions and all of these things. But let's, let's look at the, just this clash of Christmas and the, the story uh, that we see here. And I want to I sh- see that it's a clash of kingdoms. So when I talk about kingdoms, um, I'm talking about ru- ru- rule, reign, authority, power. So in a kingdom, there's a monarch who has absolute authority and power. Uh, and then there's people within that kingdom. And there's earthly kingdoms. Today we call them Nations. Uh, We're not so used to a monarchy, although some in the world are. And yet there's these nations and there's these these governments. And those are good things. I don't want you to hear that I'm going to be bashing government here today. That's certainly not what I'm doing. In fact, the Bible says that those are good things, that those bring order and structure and that we are to submit to our our governing authorities. Um, And yet there's a clash that we see here between God's kingdom that we see with the baby in the manger, that we, we see and hear with the angels who are declaring the truth, and worldly kingdoms. In this case, Rome. And the specific contrast that I want to see, if, if we could kind of pit two people against one another, if you can even call it that, because I think that's what Luke is doing, is Caesar and Jesus. That's our contrast. One of the things Luke is doing is that he's showing who really has power to bring peace into this world and what the nature of that peace is and how it is brought. That's our longing. That's our hope. It's for peace. We just want peace and quiet, right? Can we just, can we just live our lives in peace? There's, that's a deep longing that we have that we're going to see here in a moment is promised through Jesus Christ. But it's a much bigger, much deeper peace than we can ever imagine. So let's pray, and then we're going to jump into uh, Luke chapter 2. Father, uh, we just come to you just hungry. Uh, We acknowledge our yearning and our longing for peace, Lord, for wholeness. We, We oftentimes, we get confused, and we don't know where to find that. And we turn to all sorts of things, God. We just confess to you here today that that. We need that longing filled and recognize, God, that it's filled in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would lead us in your word here this morning as we look at this contrast, and I pray that you would be gentle and gracious with us. Uh, I pray that you would comfort us where comfort is needed, but I also pray, Lord, that you would confront us if that is needed as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Luke writes, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So we have this contrast. Luke tells us about Caesar, Augustus, and this census that he's calling. So you have kind of this cold machine of Rome dictating the lives and the livelihoods of all these people in the empire, and it's contrasted with this this sweet young, I'm assuming they were sweet, couple, this peasant couple who was totally displaced by this machine, right, just living their lives, having a baby, for crying out loud, in a little town that wasn't their home. I mean, can you imagine? No hospitals, not even a home. It was this really amazing contrast. And Luke, Luke uh, communicates this, thus, with, uh, this with us and, and, and puts this story, identifies it, in history and in the power of the Roman kingdom. Let me talk about Rome here just for a moment. Rome's goal was to bring peace. It really was. It was to bring peace on earth. Now, they would do it through force and violence. If you think of Rome, we often think of movies like Gladiator and so forth, and we think of the armies and and all of those things, and that's absolutely right. That is how they did it. They wanted to bring peace. They wanted to bring order to the known world at that time, and certainly there were a lot of things going on in the globe, but for our purposes, what we're seeing here is this Roman Empire, and it was huge, and they were doing it. They were doing it through conquest, they were doing it through order, economically, all those things. The power of Rome got its fingers into every aspect of life, even the birth of a baby born in Bethlehem. In fact, Caesar Augustus, whom we read about here in chapter 2, inaugurated what is known as the Pax Romana, the, the Peace of Rome, which lasted for about 200 years. It was this really long stretch of time where they enjoyed relative peace. They kind of did it. And Caesar Augustus was the, he inaugurated this. He he quenched a civil war and then out of that civil war took his rule and his reign and he did it. And he strategically here in Luke 2, he calls for a census. Why does a leader call for a census? Taxes. Taxes. And probably armies. It's, it's a power move, it's, a, it's, a, it's an economic move, it's really this, this move to continue to maintain peace and control. And we see here, as Luke describes this, the wonderful grace of God at work through governments and world powers. The Bible says in Proverbs that the, the heart of the king, the ruling powers, are like, they're like water in the palm of God's hand. He can just kind of do this and make it do whatever he wants. So we got to recognize and see that God is sovereign over all of these things. God, God was sovereign over Rome. God is sovereign over the United States of America and other, the other nations and world powers. God is sovereign over these things. He has implemented and, and put leaders in place, and they will have to get an account, give an account to him for the way that they've led. And we as citizens are called to submit to them because in doing so, we're submitting 
to God. And so Luke really just identifies this is the reality of life here. God is sovereign, but he's not above it. We know that all of these things, that Rome, that all of the the systems of the world, they're broken. They're broken. And so we kind of go, God, if you're sovereign, what are you doing? Well, we see right here what he's doing. He enters it. He enters it. That's that's mind-boggling. That a sovereign creator, Lord of all things, would become one of his creation would humbly and really obscurely. Like if these guys didn't talk about Jesus, if Jesus didn't go on to do, I mean, to do the things that he did, obviously he's the son of God. We now know about his birth in Bethlehem, but Bethlehem was kind of, it was right next to Jerusalem. It was sort of a little off the map. It was just a little, kind of the suburbs of Jerusalem. We have this contrast here. That God is working. Yes, he's working in the empire, through the empire and Caesar, but he's entering into the world. And so we have here in this text, we have Caesar contrasted with Jesus. So let's look at Caesar Augustus for a moment, because he was a rock star. Uh, he uh, was, uh, we've already talked about this, he's leader of a massive empire. In fact, that empire has had influence to this day. The way that we, the way that our Western minds think, um, government systems and structures, roads, like all sorts of things. Uh, he actually implemented a, post, a postal service, right? Uh, just, just all sorts of things. So huge influence. He was a war hero. He was very politically savvy. He knew how to play to the, to, to the crowd and to the people. And by all accounts, he actually lived kind of a humble life in terms of being an, an, a god emperor, right? The people loved him. He was very, very popular. Uh, he, he put a lot of laws, some civil laws into place that made life just better for the people in the empire. Uh, expanded roads, which then expanded trade. So under Caesar Augustus, uh, the, the empire was, was very economically just booming under, under Caesar Augustus. So there's this, there's this peace that Caesar brought economically, politically, um, socially, just in all of these things. He, he really was amazing. Uh, and if you trust the marble sculptures that we can see of him, he wasn't bad looking either. <laughs> Caesar Augustus was, by all intents and purposes, the savior and lord of that known world. He was. That's how people viewed him. Their hope was in Caesar Augustus. That he would bring peace and prosperity. And then Luke talks about Jesus. Jesus, a baby, a helpless infant, wrapped in swaddling cloths, which probably look like what they sound like, just cloths, just wrapped up, and laid in an eating trough. And Luke is really presenting to us in this short narrative, you have two choices, who's it going to be? Caesar or Jesus? And if you'll just look at the facts right now, if you just look at it right now, you go, well, Caesar wins. I mean, Caesar's doing it. Caesar's the one that's bringing peace and prosperity. Caesar's the reason why this little baby could be born in relative peace to begin with, right? 
That's the decision we have. We all have to face this. It's not between Caesar and Jesus. It's any power. It's any worldly kingdom. Whether that be a government structure, economic structure, or social, or even just people in our lives, ourselves, we have a decision to make. Is it this? Is this, is this our means to peace, to wholeness? <coughs> or is it Jesus? That is what's being presented to us, and we all have to face that. But I love this next part in the story. I love it. Because we see behind the curtain, so to speak. We see that this isn't just some baby born to just some peasant people in Bethlehem who were displaced by the real power in the world. We get to see behind the curtain, so to speak, to see the true power and what truly is behind this baby who contrastingly comes in utter humility and squalor. It's amazing. Verses 8 to 14. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Uh, yeah. I mean, just put yourself there for a moment. These shepherds had done this day in and day out. They're just minding their own business. It's night out. I imagine it's, it's calm. It's just, there's just not a whole lot going on. And then an angel appears to them, and it says that the glory of the Lord shone around them. It wasn't shining at them. Uh, the, it wasn't necessarily that the angel was shining. Maybe the angel was, but it's shining around them. They're enveloped in this. What are you going to do in that moment? You're going to be scared outside your mind. But it gets worse. Well, first the angel says to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you. And behold is, is a Bible way to say, check it out. Listen, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ our Lord. That little baby in swaddling cloths, that's Christ our Lord. He's our Savior. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Contrast, isn't it? Savior, Christ our Lord. Shouldn't he be a conquering king, a ruler who comes in on a trusty steed? No, here's your sign. Swaddling cloths in a manger. What a contrast. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So fascinating to me that the shepherds, or I'm sorry, that the angels chose to show up with the shepherds. What a contrast. Shepherds are like low rung of the, of the ladder socially. In fact, I read that, that a lot of them couldn't even go into the temple because they were considered unclean because of the job that they were doing. And you have these holy angels who appear to the shepherds. The angels didn't appear to Caesar. They didn't appear to Herod. They didn't even appear to, to the priests. Shepherds. What a contrast. This confronts the way that we think about values Confronts the way we think about people. It confronts our sense of humility and wanting to be in control. First there's one, and then suddenly by a multitude of the heavenly hosts. And here's what we get to see. We get to see just a glimpse of the, the true power that's behind this baby wrapped in swaddling cloths in a manger. 
It says there's a multitude of heavenly hosts. That word multitude in the Greek is it's plethos. Does that sound familiar? That word, what do we get, what, what word do we get from plethos? A plethora. Yes, exactly. Thank you, El Guapo. If you need to look that up, then you can do that later. Plethora. A plethora is a word that we use. It's kind of a silly word. We use it to sound smart, uh, but we also use it to describe something that is countless. Like how many, how many angels are there? One, two, three, four, six. I don't know, a plethora. It's just a multitude. It's a massive. For all we know, all of the angels in existence gathered together in that moment. We don't know. And it calls, the Bible calls them a host. A host is actually not a choir. We don't, it doesn't say that they were singing. Maybe they were. Maybe they were chanting. Host in the Bible, when it's translated in the Old Testament, when they translated the Hebrew into Greek in the Old Testament, the Greek word that they used uh, that is translated here, host, uh, most often appears in the Old Testament as army. So we have an army of angels. That's the peak that we get. That's the contrast we see between this humble God who has come in human form and is now just, just in, a, in a manger and this army of angels praising God, booming, glory to God, and on earth, peace. It's amazing. And we don't know how long it lasted. Maybe it, maybe it was a while. It's like a whole worship service length. The shepherds were like, this is, this is great. So cool, this contrast. I like to think of it as an invasion. Where God invades this world and this earth to take something back that belongs to him. To bring peace with people. And Luke has hidden a really powerful message here in the angel's decree. That actually, it goes deeper than, than just that face value. So that angel, you know, says, behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. Luke's hidden something here, I think, that contrasts Caesar with Jesus. Uh, there is a thing called the Prean calendar inscription. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Uh, it was discovered in Turkey. Um, it dates back to 9 BC. And the purpose of this inscription back in 9 BC is, uh, is to suggest that the calendar should be changed and based off of the birth of Caesar Augustus because he's a rock star. He's awesome. So that's why this inscription was written in the first place. And so it's, it's building this argument for why the calendar should be changed to, to Caesar Augustus' birthday. Listen to this. There's just some snippets here uh, from this inscription. I'm just going to read this to you. See if it sounds familiar. It seemed good to the Greeks of Asia since providence, providence meaning like this, this force that causes things, right? Providence, which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a savior, both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things, peace on earth. And since the birthday of the god, Augustus, was the beginning of the good tidings for the world that came by reason of him. That word good tidings is gospel. This is the gospel of Caesar Augustus. Good news. 
Listen, behold, good news I bring to you. Caesar Augustus was born, and he's the savior of the world, and he will bring peace. You can't tell me Luke wasn't doing this on purpose. Like, you see that, and you're like, oh, wow, like, this is subversive. Like, let's not let this get in the hands of the wrong people. Because around here, Caesar's Lord and Savior. What's he doing here? Luke isn't challenging governments here. He's going beyond that. It's bigger than that. Like we've already addressed that, right, to some degree. Like, we're to submit to that. But what's the good news? Government has its place. But is it the gospel? Is it the means to the peace that our hearts long for, the wholeness that we crave? Perhaps from time to time it brings prosperity and peace. But time after time, those things fail. And Luke's holding these two, is Caesar or Jesus? It's your choice. What's the gospel? Who's the good news about? Is it this world power? And the next one, and then the next one, and the next one, all the way up to our time? Or is it Jesus? That's what he's doing. Who's Savior? Who's Lord? Caesar or Jesus? And it wasn't long after this, that this was written, that Christians would have to decide. They would have to decide whether they were going to say publicly, Caesar is Lord or Jesus is Lord. And they were killed for it. We have an opportunity this Christmas once again. Not in a confrontational way because we would miss it altogether to say, Jesus is Lord. That's the contrast. That's, that's the conflict that we have in us. We want to look to other things to make them lords and saviors. Maybe even ourselves. We have an opportunity once again to say, Jesus is Lord. And it's not confrontational. It's not a power struggle. In fact, if we're to follow the example of God, of Christ, it comes through humility. It comes through service. It comes through love. Being with people. Listening. Loving. And caring. This is the clash of Christmas. The King of kings and the Lord of lords humbled himself a baby in a manger wrapped in swaddling cloths to be cared for by two inexperienced parents. The seemingly powerless Jesus has come into this world and the world had no clue because they, like we, get so consumed with the powers and systems of this world. A peasant child laying in an eating trough seems absurd in the face of our deep longing for peace. Like we just need to be honest about that. Let's be confronted with that reality. Were it not for who he is, were it not for the reality and the power behind that we get to see a little bit with the angels, that we see at his death and his resurrection and his ascension, that we look ahead to at his coming, where he will truly bring peace under his rule and his reign. And in the meantime, 
this God of peace who offers us wholeness, because peace is more than just peace and quiet and can't we all just get along? It's good to get along. Peace and quiet can be nice. Peace is wholeness. It's a wholeness that our, our hearts long for, a wholeness with God, a wholeness with our purpose, with meaning, our existence, all determined by God. And God invites us into being people who bring peace. That's what he does with the shepherds. The angels don't let the, I mean, the shepherds don't just kind of sign off and uh, mic drop and go. They're like, hey, shepherds, this will be a sign to you. You're going to find, oh, by the way, you're going. You know, like they sort of just assume they're going to go. I mean, I would, right? This baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And so God invites his people into being peacemakers, not peacekeepers. Peacekeepers just kind of hunker down and just kind of want things their own way and, and, and often try to get it through power and authority and violence. But we're to be peacemakers. God doesn't just give us the peace for us to go, it feels so warm and fuzzy peaceful. No, we have a job to do, church. We're on mission with God to be peacemakers to the world around us. And guess what? Just like this baby born in obscure Bethlehem from some obscure town called Nazareth, oftentimes our acts of peacemaking will go unseen. They are humble. They're loving. They're kind. And in so doing, just like the shepherds, we will bear witness to the glory, to the wonder, to the message of a Savior that has been born to us, who is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. As the, uh, as the worship team comes up here, I just want to ask you just to, just to allow the sights and the sounds of the story for a moment, just to be vibrant in your mind's eye. Lord, we just see again that there's, there's a clash here. Lord, I have my own ways of doing things. And my own means my, uh, to, to get to peace, this wholeness. God, we confess that. That's, just, that's part of our rebellion, the sin that's in us. But we also recognize that you truly do bring that peace through your son, Jesus Christ that peace that was bought for us at the cross. Your word says that Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, has made peace through the blood of his cross. And Lord Jesus, we want to praise you. We want to thank you. We want to receive that gift of peace with God that you have given us. But we also want to be obedient to you and faithful to you as we follow you into the world to be peacemakers in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, out on the field, wherever that may be, on the, on the streets, Lord. Let us be peacemakers. As we have found wholeness, let us be people who also help others find that same wholeness. In you, Lord Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.